As we come to God's word, I'd first like to offer a word of thanks, if I may. Uh, This has been an unbelievable year to serve you as moderator, and it has been the honor, uh, one of the greatest honors of my life. So thank you, and I um, I promise to remain faithful in, in serving our great church in the years to come. Would you please pray with me? Father, what we know not, come now and teach us. What we are not, Lord, call us as only you can. What we do not, invite us. And what we cannot, Lord, transform us. May this word be yours and yours alone. Amen. We have two scripture lessons for today. The first comes to us from 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 10. And I'd like to ask you to do a tradition that we have here at our church in Orlando where we stand for the reading of the scripture. So whether you are alone or if you are in a group, would you please stand for this, the reading of God's word. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the 10th day of the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king, and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out Zedekiah's eyes bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of Yahweh, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem, Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. God's word continues for us. The book of John's Revelation, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, a reading from the annals of the EPC. The fifth book of, Jeremiah, of Jeph Jeremiah, chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against Babylon when the coronavirus rebelled against humanity. In the fourth year of Donald Trump's reign, on the second day of the second month, Americans and the elders of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church woke to the march of a pandemic upon their Jerusalem, the church. The virus soon arrived and began to encamp both outside the walls of the church and in the bodies of her children. By the 10th day of the sixth month, the pandemic was becoming severe Corporate gatherings for worship ceased. Mission projects, summer youth trips, vacation Bible school canceled. Discipleship methods shifted online and they were found wanting. The elders of the EPC were mourning the death of dear colleagues, friends, and family. Flocks floundered with financial pressure, job losses, increased hunger, and housing insecurity. Police shootings, racial protests, rioting, a polarized presidential election forced pastors to lead through issues they never wanted and never asked for. Issues such as open corporate worship or not. And if so, how and when? Mask or no mask? Child care, no child care? Are we loving our neighbor well and serving community health by postponing large gatherings? Or are we being persecuted by the government and hindered in our call to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? And all the while, everybody had an opinion. Everybody. Finally, the 
city wall broke through. We wanted to escape. We wanted to run towards Araba and hide in those cleft rocks. Amen? Some of our soldiers separated from us and were captured by other churches. Some 60% of them, Mr. Barna told us, did nothing, not even worship online. Pastors were tired, beaten up, missing a summer's rest, and some considered having their eyes put out. This is the word of case. God help us all. My goodness, friends, what a year it has been. What an incredible season of ministry that none of us ever dreamed would be put upon us when we last gathered as a general assembly. I know in in my own life, the ups and the downs of this year as we've dealt with pandemic, as we've dealt with economic uncertainty, racial division, and this political process, my goodness, sometimes I I just don't want to engage today. I want to get, get a mental health day, if you will. I was particularly struck and so saddened when learning of one of our dear colleagues who succumbed to COVID-19 and Dr. Tim Russell of Second Presbyterian Church of Memphis. I did not know Tim very long, but for the short time that we were friends, my goodness, what a joyful, sweet friendship it was. So it was last year at General Assembly, and I come down for breakfast in the hotel on the first morning, and I get my food, and I look around, and there's an empty seat with Tim Russell. I introduce myself, he introduces himself, and we sit down and begin to talk. Second morning, I come down, and there's Tim, empty chair. We have breakfast together. The third morning, Tim, empty chair, and breakfast And I can tell you that not once did Tim Russell talk about church politics or the upcoming amendments and motions. Not once did he ask me where the money is. Tim just invested in me. And he said things like, Case, I know that, I mean, this is a pretty heavy load to carry as moderator. How you doing? How can I pray for you today? Well, as we left General Assembly, he stayed in touch. And Tim continued to call every so often and send me texts of encouragement. Eventually, Tim did text that he had gotten the disease and was going in the hospital. And so I thought, well, this is my chance to repay the favor and and, and to be an uh, encouragement in his life. And so I would text him and he would text me back and until that fateful day when I sent my last text telling him I was praying for him and he never texted back. This has been quite a year of ministry. My wife has asthma, my son has asthma. What do we do? Do we go to school or not? One of my best friends is an African-American church planter in the PCA, and oh, how our conversations have deepened and been at odds at times and been on the same page at times. 
my own family, there's some political things we don't even talk about. And I've noticed as the, the pressures and the stress of this year build, may, maybe you can relate, but I sometimes don't react as lovingly <laughs> as I should. Uh, this, this, this season is bringing out idols in me that are not very attractive because I, I forget the truths of Scripture. I forget the promises of God, and I want to take back over. I want to lean in in a way that I think is best. Well, friends, my hope is as we look at these two particular scriptures, we can look within at the very idols that this season of ministry has brought out and how they are met with the truths and the power of the gospel. That is a constant push and motion and effort we have to make as elders in the life of the church be sure that all things are new and that God is continually reminding us of his plan and his purposes. Because I can tell you, there are times when I want my own pleasure, that the idol of pleasure to, to, to be worshipped. Don't disrupt my comfort. Don't put uh, a normal hectic day of work on me and then add 20% more pressure with pandemic walking around with masks and having to social distance. And, you know, that is messing up my time. Don't cancel any of my vacations for a needed summer's rest. Don't mess up my routine or my idol of fear has grown. As I worry and wonder about the economic recession, as I look at our budgets at church and try to plan for ministry and, and think, will we have the resources we need for the call ahead? As my fear bubbles up because elder might be uh, against another elder and arguments unfold about how do we do this? Well, let's look then at these various idols that come up with us and how God's word speaks to them. First is the idol of power. Friends, the idol of power that is in so many of us who are in ministry it comes out because we're trying to lead, we're trying to serve, we're trying to do servant leadership and managing the power that we may or may not have, the power of the situation we're dealing with, and God's power in the midst of it. It can be exhausting. And the siege on Jerusalem by the Babylonians, it can scare us. And it can lead us to wonder, as it did our covenant ancestors, is our God abandoned us? For when the temple was destroyed, there were many in that day who wondered, well, if God lives in that building and now that building's gone, are we on our own? For the exiles taken far over into the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. Think of the distraught nature of their, brain, their minds and their hearts as they wondered, where is our God? Has he abandoned us? But I don't want us to forget, as I know some of our covenant ancestors did not forget, that actually God planned this all along. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 22, and 24. Your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases which Yahweh has afflicted it. Verse 24, all the nations will ask, why has Yahweh done this to the land? 
Why this fierce, burning anger? Friends, this was planned all along. 2 Kings 24, verse 2. Yahweh sent Babylonia, the Arameans, the Moabites, and the Ammonite raiders against him. He sent them to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of Yahweh proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Now, I am not suggesting we know that God sent this pandemic for a particular purpose, but I do know that as our covenant ancestors may have forgotten God's plan and purpose, we too can forget such, and then we think we've got to take over, and that ministry happens at the pace of our power. A scholar writes, from the very beginning, Israel's tenure in the land of Canaan was intended to be temporary, because God had something so much better in mind, and not a single nation limited to a single geographical location, but people from all nations spread throughout a new earth. Friends, we forget. We forget God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has promised us his plan to unfold and not ours. Being reminded of that seeing those moments in Scripture when our covenant ancestors are reminded of that helps us to realize, friends, if you don't ever get back in your building, and some of you may not be there yet, the church lives on. You may never have one mind and clarity on exactly how we should go about doing ministry in this next season, but the gospel will be preached, and the Holy Spirit will do his work. We may not have great clarity exactly on, on how we're supposed to respond to the racial tensions of our age or how we're supposed to vote in November. But God has a plan. He is sovereign and he will stay with us every step of the way. Smash that idol of power, friends, on the altar and lean into your Lord a second idol that rears its ugly head, especially in my life, is the idol of control. The idol of control. Think how our covenant ancestors must have felt as they stood and watched the beautiful city of God completely destroyed, walls torn down, the temple destroyed, the great buildings of importance, their civic pride certainly was wounded, and they didn't feel they had control over their land, much less their city, much less their own lives. This loss of civic prestige, it further debilitates those who are left in the land and for the exiles. And it, it, it only allows for the Babylonians to exert more and more control. I mean, have you felt out of control have you felt like this virus is controlling way too much? And the various talking heads and politicians and leaders who are out there, either in the church or in Hollywood or elsewhere in society, trying to explain things, trying to get control and, and have us chart a path as a culture, you just, it just gets exhausting. It gets exhausting. I know that some churches have been quite frustrated and embarrassed when 
The local newspaper reveals that it was actually in that worship service that a dozen or more people caught the virus. And I know too, I've grown frustrated when certain pastors have completely defied any and all public health requests and have met met together more out of spite rather than worship of the true and living God. But friends, you know, you know the good truth of the gospel that God is in control. God is in control, and so we don't have to. Much like the idol of power is pushed aside because God is all-powerful and sovereign. Well, friends, his sovereignty carries over into controlling and seeing that the church is still the church. Well, he is in control, and it will be. The new Jerusalem gives us this encouragement. When we look in Revelation 21.4, We read, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning, crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Death, suffering, pain, crying, the most dramatic of things that cause disruption. And yet our God is so in control that those things are pushed aside in the eschaton. Chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. 22, 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. In 21, 1. I saw the new heaven and earth for the first heaven And the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, for this Florida boy, that's hard to hear. No longer any sea. We love our beach time. But see, for our covenant ancestors, the sea represented uh, disorder and chaos. It was uncontrollable, and storms would rise up at the last minute. In fact, it's out of the sea that the great beast arrives in Revelation 13. And so John encourages us to hand over our control, to hand it over and that it can die. It can be smashed on the altar of the Lord for it is replaced with the promises of Jesus as the great consoler. I don't know if the great controller is a popular phrase. We don't like being controlled but to know that our sovereign God is in control. The seven evils that John lifts out and that he sees the sea, the death, mourning, weeping, pain, curse, and the night. Well, friends, what about the seven evils of 2020? They will be wiped out. Corona, recession, racism, rioting, political polarization, quarantine, and thank goodness, masks. Masks! Wiped out because our God is in control. Friends, lay down the idol of control. A third idol that we see represented and met by the gospel in this text is pleasure. Pleasure. Oh, we like our comfort. We like our routine. Some of us as pastors particularly are masters of routine. 
so that we can manage and deal with the unroutine, that's not a word, but the upsets and the, the emergencies that arise in ministry. We long for peaceful fellowship. We long for a time to relax with our elders and not worry that there's any tension in the room or wayward agendas or contempt for one another. We long for these needed vacations, not for undue pleasure, but just simply to relax and to be restored. Oh, the idol we have and that idol of pleasure is, is, is met in the midst of pandemic fatigue someone mentioned, where life is hard enough. You've got enough to do to keep things going and you put an extra 10 and 20% of burden on it. I mean, I, this particular week, I, I feel like I have been walking through mud as we get geared up for fall programming and trying to get things done. Studies show the, the rates of depression are rising everywhere. Divorces in Wuhan, China shot up during their lockdown and even now in America are on the rise. Pastors particularly, pastors particularly, we are so susceptible to depression already because of the people work that we do. You come to a time like this and it gets so very real. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, this new heaven and earth that is soon to come, this new Jerusalem is, is actually nothing new. It's actually not a new idea or a, not a new concept that John came up with, for it had been long prophesied by the prophets. Jesus this great consoler who wipes away every tear. We read in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, the ransomed of Yahweh will return. They will enter Zion, Jerusalem, with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. <laughs> Friends, if you've been longing for these pleasurable things we once knew. Lay them down and replace them with singing. Lay them down and rest in the arms of Jesus and let him wipe the tears from your eyes. For he is the greatest fulfillment of all. The last idol that this text meets with the gospel is the idol of fear. The idol of fear. I'd like to share with you what some pastors have shared with me in this particular season. One writes, there is another worship service on a church member's private property that happens at the same time as our worship service. Over the past month, I've been very depressed by this and even questioning my call here which has led me to consider another church. Another pastor. We've had a few key leaders drop out to be part of other churches. They each left for different reasons, but it has shaken me and it has shaken my session. 
another pastor, significant leadership failure on my part this week, not resisting an elder's loudmouth manipulative tactics. I woke up this morning ashamed at my cowardice and my failure of nerve. Another pastor writes, things are not great. Every decision regarding COVID-19 now ends in slander. One of my elder's wives called me a bully, and this elder agreeing that if we were to cancel a planned event that we would in fact be bullies, it's starting to wear on me. My fiance was shocked that this elder and his wife would say such a thing. The tech guy fluctuates between tolerating me and outright hostility. Any decision I make that isn't what he wants ends with him stirring the pot. Things have never been rosy for me here, and I think it's time for me to call time on my ministry here. These are all EPC teaching elders. Friends, the crisis is real. And we know it's real from the news. We know it's real when we have sat by the bedside of those who are passing. I, we know the, the, the tension in our culture is real when we may have been marching with black brothers and sisters. We know this time is heavy, but this time's heavy on us as well. I haven't had COVID. I haven't been the one who has been put down and subjugated because of racism. I'm pretty careful in my public opinions about politics and therefore avoid a lot of the drama. But this idol of fear stirs in us and it scares us, makes us question our call, exhausts us, and leads us sometimes, as Dr. Swanson prayed, to find solace in dark and unlovely places to find release, to find welcome outside of Mother Church. Friends, the fear that we know and that we feel is met clearly by our God. It is met by the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21, 1. Revelation 21, 1. I see this new heaven and this new earth for this first heaven and first earth, which is full of fear and legitimate things that bring us fear, passes away. In 2 Peter 3, 13, he writes, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I want you to know that Hokema points out the normal Greek word used when it comes to the word new is naos. And naos means time or origin, a newness in the sense of time and the chronology or an its origin, but it's in just these two passages, in 2 Peter and Revelation 21, that kainos is used. And kainos is a word that speaks to a brand new nature and new quality. 
a new nature and a new quality. Friends, if the nature in you has been burdened with the sin and the brokenness of these days, pass that nature over to Jesus and allow him to renew a new quality of elder in you, a new quality of pastoral ministry or a new quality of elder leadership in the life of the church. For we must stay fresh. We must stay day by day alive in the spirit that we can lead our flocks and that our flocks can be salt and light into this culture that is weighed down, into this world that is plagued literally for our God has waiting for us a new heaven and a new earth. And until that time, he has a freshness and a newness of quality and nature that is available day in and day out. I pray that this assembly for all of us renews our spirits. Don't just let general assembly be a bunch of motions or debate on the floor or a ton of words written in that packet. But rather, may all of that be the behind-the-scenes undergirding to the great testimony of our churches for the work that they do, the fruit that they bear, the people that they touch, the gospel that they preach and live out, the lives that are saved and claimed for Jesus. Let this assembly be a newness for us all as we await our new Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we're, we're hungry, we're desperate, we're broken, we are heavy with this year. Take it from us, O oh Lord. Renew in our hearts and our minds the promise of your new Jerusalem and what she entails. Father, we fear not the Babylonians outside of our city walls. We want not to run to Arabah and hide in those rocks, but rather, Lord, we seek to be renewed by you day in and day out for the work that you have ahead of us. We ask that boldly in your name. And all God's people said,